0: Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges, and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today, we are joined by Angie Watson, Chief Operating Officer of Paymentology. Paymentology is the leading global issuer processor, giving banks, fintechs, and telcos the technology team and experience to rapidly issue and process MasterCard, Visa, and Union Pay cards across more than 50 countries at scale. Angie is here today to share her story and some of her learns from along the way. Welcome, Angie. It is great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Nadia. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit more about what
1: paymentology does be a pleasure too. So really what paymentology does is we enable both banks, fintechs, and telcos to issue any kinds of physical or virtual payment cards and process those payments across the globe by connecting to global networks like Visa and MasterCard, as well as local networks in the regions that are required, which is no mean feat. So we have people in over 67 countries, actually, 500 people now to be able to do that and service our clients in 50 countries. As a business, a big part of our mission is about impacting people's lives for the better by enabling them to be included and therefore participate in the financial system. So that's for people that aren't able to participate in creating meaningful work for themselves because they can't be banked. And so that's really important. And we believe in changing their lives. Or if they're already part of that system, then it's to do that with the most innovative industry leading products and services.
0: That's brilliant. And thank you for that introduction. Tell us a bit more about your role at Paymentology itself and what that really looks like. Sure. So
1: people say to me, you know, what do you do? And I think when you talk about the title Chief Operating Officer, it must be one of the most often misused titles almost, because it can mean lots of different things. So essentially, I'm responsible for the entire people function, for lack of a better term. So I'm, I'm responsible for all people agenda. I'm responsible for client service and I'm responsible for the support areas of our customer support. And essentially also for us managing the strategic operations of the business. So if you think about that and what that means, when we take on any sort of new business or grow into a new market, I work with our CEO, with Rowan, to develop sort of the strategy, think about the people, structural and systemic implications, both in the short term and the medium term, of what it means to go into those new markets. How do we need to think about how we structure the business? How do we grow the business from a people point of view? What are the implications from a operational perspective when we go into those different markets? And how do we need to think about scaling and growing our people capabilities to be able to meet those needs? As I mentioned to you earlier, we've got 500 people in 67 countries. So my role is really about managing the complexity so that we don't slow down, nor do we trip ourselves up as we scale. And that we need to create space for people to still continue to focus on what it takes to be successful, both as individuals, because I believe that's really important, but also as we rapidly change in the business and environment that we
0: operate in. Wow there's so much there that you've just discussed but it all sounds super exciting and I can imagine that you're making loads of impact daily on that because it's it's all the different facets of people and how they're connected to the business or or moving within your business and it's all all the things that I love talking about. Let's just go back a few steps because you know this is such a huge undertaking in your role right now but I'd love to hear about your career and how it grew and how you got to this position that you're in today?
1: I kind of want to say accidentally, because for me, a career is not really a linear path where you study something to become something. I think a career is is an aspect of what you do, but it's only really one aspect of who you are. And in, in terms of that, it should be an accumulation. So I, I think of a career as an accumulation of experiences that set you up to have more exciting and challenging experiences in the future that will stretch you. And so when I think about your question and how did I arrive at this point right now, I think it's by always taking on challenging opportunities in the past, by stretching myself through projects or roles or people that have exposed me to things that I hadn't experienced before. So always being on a steep learning curve, always just at the risk of slipping back because it's too steep, so holding on for dear life. I'm quite fortunate that I've had a very multifaceted background in terms of industry experience because I've come from consulting background as well as very corporate backgrounds, working in startup. I've had the opportunity to work on my own as well in leadership development. So I've been fortunate to work on a global scale. And because I've been able to work in so many different types of businesses, I've been able to see businesses at very different life stages. And so I think that's given me the experience to be able to contribute in different ways by being able to see a little bit ahead and see where we might be going. And I think that allows you to be flexible. It allows you to embrace change in a slightly different way, which I think is, it can be helpful. And bringing different industry experience to the one that we're in at the moment, it can be useful. I think the other part is about learning. So learning has also been a big part of my journey from a career perspective. I've always kept a very important parallel academic track alongside my career journey. And I think that's kept me curious about what's happening in my work. And I found that to be really valuable.
0: And that takes me really nicely to my next question, because I know that you're a believer of purposeful learning, Mm -hmm. and I wanted you to unpack what you mean by that and why that's so important for all of us.
1: Yeah, I think, so for me personally, because I try not to impose too much of what I think is important for me necessarily, what I think is important for other people, but obviously it's my role to think about what I think can make our business and people successful, But for me personally, I think I'm fundamentally intrinsically motivated by learning and being environments which keep me intellectually stimulated and challenged, right? So that's important for me. And curiosity is a key part of that. And for that reason, in my personal capacity, I'll always stay in a state of continuous learning. I think it reminds us to stay humble because we can always know more and keep us growing towards a new future state. I don't want to be the same person I am today in five years time. I think that would be terrible. But from a business perspective, and I think when we look at ourselves as leaders in business, I think it's important for us to think about this for our people. We know, like research has proven, we know that intrinsic motivators are far stronger drivers than extrinsic motivators like money and benefits, et cetera. So if we have people that are curious and striving to learn more and are stimulated in that way, and they are humble in their knowledge they're striving to learn more, obviously we want them to be confident in their knowledge, then we can create a business that can grow as well. And we will create people that are motivated and people that are engaged. And I think that creates a more successful business as well. So I think it's important on two fronts.
0: And I really like, you know, the way that you phrase that, because for a business that can grow, it's filled with people that are constantly growing themselves. So I really love that link that you've made. And this concept and this thought around growth and individual growth, for me, it's very much linked to inclusion and understanding how everyone's different, and they'll learn at different, different rates. They'll be passionate about different things, they'll have different perspectives. I wanted you just to share what inclusion really means to you. So in terms of
1: what inclusion means to me, I think what inclusion isn't, inclusion isn't about token gestures. I think inclusion should not be about we need to have X percentage of a board or X percentage of leadership being represented of certain groups of people. I think that's insulting to the people that we're trying to represent. So I think that's what inclusion should not be. I think what inclusion should be is about making sure that we have a diversity of ideas that we're able to represent the fullness of of humanity, that we're able to represent the fullness of people. And I think that that's wider than gender, it's wider than sexual identity. I think it's inclusive of neurodiversity, physicality and geography. And I think it's really important that we're mindful of the, the fullness that we can bring to a group of people by being fully inclusive of the difference that's out there. And I think it takes a lot to bring that into a room. I think it's not just being intentional about getting it into the room. I think it's being intentional about keeping it in the room. And obviously when I say in the room, I mean the business. And this is where it links to growth, actually. Because if you're not able to keep people feeling safe in the room, then they can't grow. And so I think it's really important about not only creating the opportunity for people to join the business, but how do you keep them feeling seen and able to grow and feeling psychologically safe and feeling like this is a place that matters for them, and that they can grow in that space, because then you can get their, their full voice, because otherwise, what's the point? I don't think that we will get there if businesses don't understand why it's important. It's really important that people understand why inclusion matters. I think there are really, really important debates about equality and inclusion on that basis that exist in the realm of philosophy, ethics, politics, gender studies. I'm really sensitive to that. But if we want to see change in business, then businesses will need to understand why it matters in a business context and how inclusion impacts business results. Because if they do it on the basis or we expect them to do it on the basis of equality and political ideology, it won't happen. And I don't think we should expect it to happen. So I think inclusion and, you know, we talk about diversity there. I think inclusion is important to business. Because the more you get diverse thinking, the better business results can be. And when businesses understand that, then you will see a change. But it needs to be a change on that level in terms of mindset. And then how do we bring people in and how do we keep people in?
0: I absolutely love the way you, you've you walked us through that because everything I've heard there is we've got to get that foundation right. You know, the why right and, and everyone behind that why for us to be able to to really solve solve the problem that, that we face within our space. There's another problem that we've spoken about in terms of biases and stereotyping. When thinking about inclusion, what do we need to do to avoid stereotyping in the workplace?
1: Yeah, so it's a back bear of mine. We talk about saying, oh, we need more women in leadership. As if having more women in leadership is going to solve... I'm not sure what it's going to solve. Again, I think it's separating out a fundamental issue on gender equality issues of which that is an important debate and it's important, but it sits in an academic, and I don't mean academic as an issue, academic is an important discussion, but that's around gender equality that needs to be addressed. And that's around pay equality. That's around equal opportunity of rights. There's lots of spaces that's important. It is important. But just having more women in leadership doesn't mean that you get more balanced ideas. It doesn't mean that you have more different ideas in the boardroom, for instance, because all women are not the same, for goodness sake. That's a problem. The thing that differentiates us is not our gender. That's a problem. So I think we need to be very careful because that sends the wrong message. So I think it's about saying we need more differences in a boardroom than just gender. So we need to say what are the differences that we need in a business, first of all, because women is one of them. We absolutely need more women in leadership. Of course we do. We don't have enough women in leadership. I'm not saying we don't need that, but we need other differences as well. And by the way, we need different men. So we need men that are different to each other, no doubt. We need women that are different to each other. Because if we just settle for having more women in leadership and you get all the same types of women, we will have gone down the wrong road. So we need to be careful of that. So we need to say, what are the types of leaders that we need in leadership? And that's probably a better road to go down. And we need to understand what are the barriers for certain types of people in our business? What are the groups of people that we need? What are the types of thinking that we need? And how do we remove the barriers for those people? So if we're saying that we don't have enough women in leadership, why not? Is our business not making it easy for women to be leaders? It may not be that we're not recruiting them. What are policies around making it easy for mothers in leadership, for instance? I'm not sure. It may be as difficult for fathers. We we don't think about this inclusively for fathers as we do for mothers. We make it all about gender. And that that I think is is stereotyping.
0: Thank you so much. That was super thought provoking. And I think that from everything that you've just said there, there are so many bits and pieces that each of us can take away and say, I can do better at that. I can question that more. But before we get into more action pieces, I just wanted you to go back again. If you had to think about yourself at the beginning of your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? The one thing I would say is something I say to lots of people that
1: I coach have coached, is to keep a journal. So to write a journal. Write every day. If you're tired, write. If you have lots of energy, write. If you have no time, write. Don't throw the books away. Always write. If you don't know what to write, write and reflect. I think keeping a journal keeps us honest. And I think when we talk about learning and we talk about finding who you are over time, I think that's the one thing that helps you keep that thread. And I think there's something very special about finding yourself in your journal. So I would, I would give that advice to my younger self. And then I would listen. I think she probably knew a lot. So I would ask her for advice.
0: Thank you. That's, that's really, really useful. And, and I completely agree writing down as much as possible writing down those achievements writing down those challenges writing down those times where it was really really hard but you got through it because I have such a terrible habit of just erasing that from my mind so when I'm representing myself and whatever I need to I've forgotten all my evidence of why I'm capable so I think that's such a brilliant bit of advice and moving on to my next question this is really for the listeners to take away And, and what more would you want the listeners to be doing to equip themselves with the tools to succeed in today's workplace?
1: I think there's probably two big areas. And it's quite interesting when you talk about in today's workplace. I think the one thing is acknowledging that today's workplace won't be here in the future. So what do you need? Who do you need to be to be able to be flexible for that? So the one thing I would talk about is what kind of learner do you need to be? What kind of person do you need to be that is built to grow, that is built to be resilient? Because there are some careers, jobs, etc. that are going to evolve into the future and think about the future of work that we just haven't thought of yet. And whether it's about building soft skills, whether it's about your ability to build relationships, whether it's about your ability to have difficult conversations, think strategically, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, what specific job you're in, those skills will stand you in good stead no matter what level of your career you're in or what you're doing. And I would strongly encourage anyone to get on courses, get yourself exposed to that kind of learning. That is so critical and will stand you in good stead. So I would, I would absolutely work on that. I think anyone that is not comfortable with change, get comfortable with change, because that's something that we are, we can be certain of. So if that's not your sweet spot, I would go and get messy, you know, go and get into a course or go and, learn something new, go and stretch yourself because actually that's something that builds resilience and that builds flexibility. But that's stuff that we can proactively go and get more comfortable with, which is ambiguity. Because again, those are things that build our muscle with dealing with things that we can't control. And again, that is something that is coming. If you are in a space that you can predict right now, you're fortunate. It won't stay. So I think the more that we can get comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty, you're you're set for success. And then what I would say is you are in an industry right now, whatever that is, know your stuff. Because the one thing that I've come up against time and time again, you know, coaching women so often is this whether it's an imposter syndrome, dealing with lack of confidence. And so much of that is around, you know, I'm not sure that I'm meant to be here. Am I good enough? And women will always feel that, no matter how good they actually are, which invariably is amazing is just at least know that you know your stuff. And whether you change industries in the future, do the best you can to at least know your stuff. And those would be the tools that I think we can take. But the first stuff I think is, is the most important.
0: Get comfortable with change. Well, what a brilliant mantra, and I think really will set people up for success. And do and you know what? That's for everybody in this industry. Change in environments, change in products, change in tools, change in systems. Everything that we've discussed today that you've shone a light on for inclusion and for learning and for growth is all interlinked. This has been such a fascinating episode, and thank you for sharing your insights and your career and your steps of learning that's allowed for us to learn from you. And thank you for joining us on the Women of Fintech podcast series.
1: Thank you, Nadia. It's been a real honor and I appreciate your time as well. Thank you very much.